we, we figured this out a few weeks ago that I would be preaching this week so that he could be sick and so that they could have a funeral in their family and not have to, uh, not have to worry about preaching. And so that's, that's kind of what we did here. So um, I'm going to fill in for him today and we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 5. We're going to kind of back up a little bit and pick up something that we uh, skipped over a little bit earlier. Uh, but it makes a really good New Year's message. And so we want to share that with you today from John chapter 5. So I'd like you to think a little bit about your coming year. I mean, I'm sure everybody's got... I know most of you are grown up enough now to know that it's stupid to do New Year's resolutions. I I don't do those. But I do find myself thinking about what I might want to do in the year ahead. Uh, These are not resolutions, but they are kind of dreams and fun stuff that I think would be nice to see happen uh, in this next year. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about in the spring is to train to run a half marathon. Now, you notice I did not say run a half marathon. I want to make that very clear. That very likely will not happen. I think the chances are very slim, actually, that that will happen. But training to run a half marathon is a, is a real possibility, and I'd like to take a crack at that through the next spring. Something that I do promise to do is catch lots of bass uh, next summer, and uh, uh, we're going to work hard at that. And then I'd, I'd like to go on a fun family vacation. Um, all three things, fun, family, and vacation, all in the same thing. I know those that might be difficult, but we're going to take a crack at that. And then next fa- uh, fall, the other thing that I, I, I do think I, I probably will accomplish is hunt pheasants. Shooting them will be another issue, but uh, I will walk in the, out in the grass and we will pursue pheasants and chase them around the field at least. Uh, but... Uh, Those are, you know, I I think we all got those kinds of dreams as you think ahead to the coming year. The stuff that you'd kind of like to see happen in 2008. And you can go on from there. You know, there might be some remodeling projects and there maybe you want to buy a new car. And, uh, you know, there are just maybe some things at work that you'd like to see happen differently. And the list goes on and on. And we dream our good, big American dreams about the stuff that we would like to see in our life in the year to come. Uh, But... Is that all? Is, are, those, are those all of the dreams that you have for the year to come? Uh, I think if Jesus were here with us this morning, He would be asking us a question. And I think uh, He would ask us this question because it's in this passage today. I mean, he's, these are His words that He asked a person. And when I think about it, you know, I think he's asking us this question all the time. And the question is, do you want to be whole? In other words, uh, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healthy spiritually and, and just completely healthy and whole? And, and particularly, do you want what God wants when he asks that? Is that something that's on your heart as you think ahead to the year ahead? Do you really want to be better than you are right now? You know, I've been, you know, we as preachers, we get the greater benefit from these passages because we get to wrestle with this thing all week long and I get to sit back and think about this. And uh, I'm not so sure I do. I mean, you take this home with you and wrestle with that question sometime. In the honesty of your heart, ask yourself that question Do you really want to be better than you are? So let's read this passage in John chapter 5. 
And I've kind of broken it up into three parts. This is going to be the outline of my message. And the first part is this picture of the sick, the blind, the lame, the withered people. And uh, NIV calls them the disabled, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. But you get the picture of what's going on here. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And now there's another verse that's not in your NIV, but it, it's, well, it's helpful, so we're going to throw it in there. And they waited for the uh, moving of the waters from time to time, and an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now that's not in the Bible. Somebody added it. We'll come back to that later. Um, but then in the next verses comes this question that Jesus asks. And he, he introduces this man and this question. And it says then, verse 5, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, and this is a demonstration of his power, the power of his word to heal and to make us better. Jesus said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now I'm going to throw another verse. It's not up here, but verses 14 and 15. A little bit later, Jesus finds him in the temple. And he says to him, uh, See, you are well again. And then he says to the man, Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now it's just important, I think, that we get that little piece in here to kind of understand what all of the things that might be going on with this man. And so let's begin with uh, the first four verses here and, and kind of get our heads into the sitting, get the picture of what, what's going on here. Um, the text says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a particular feast. We don't know which feast this is. Uh, doesn't seem to really matter. Uh, Jesus was there and he went to this pool in Jerusalem and uh, it's by the sheep gate. There's a pool in, in Aramaic. It was called Bethesda. And it says that it's surrounded by five color, covered colonnades. Um, now, uh, used to be people would come to this passage here 20, 30 years ago, uh, 40 years ago, and they would go, you know, this is an example of, of uh, that, you know, John, the guy who wrote this wasn't really there with Jesus in Jerusalem in those days because... There's no such pool. We don't know where this is. This doesn't exist. It's fabricated. This story doesn't fit into the city of Jerusalem any place. But lo and behold, as with many things in the Bible, uh, in the 1960s, as they're excavating in the city of Jerusalem, over by the Sheep Gate, in that particular part of the city, old city of Jerusalem, they found these pools. And the picture that you see up on the screen is an artist's uh, reconstruction of what this may have looked like, and particularly this thing about five covered colonnades, you know, to kind of get an eye, what would that look like around a pool, a five-sided pool? Uh, and what they found is that there are uh, two pools there, one's raised a little higher than the other, 
and the colonnades are these rows of columns that hold up a roof they're covered that create these sort of porches that surround these two pools and so as you can see there's one two three four sides around the outside and then the fifth is right down the middle that splits those two pools and so lo and behold yes there was a pool near the sheep gate with five covered colonnades just like John describes uh, this very spot existed just as the book of John says it existed. And so it is. it was at this place and all through uh, Jerusalem there there are these um, underground reservoirs and there are springs and that at certain times probably what was happening in this pool is that water would bubble up from these springs and the water would become disturbed in this place and a superstition developed around that bubbling water that it would heal people and so the idea was first person in the pool once that bubbling occurs and you might get well and it's you know something like the superstition around the 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 uh, waters at lords or other places that that people gather around even today you can still see those kinds of superstitions that verse 4 that's included here you know when you read it it would seem like if it were in the text you would think well gee this is sort of uh, uh, affirming that superstition that there was actually healing there uh, as it says that an angel would stir up the water and that people would get healed. But really, you know, the earliest manuscripts that we have in the Bible do not include that verse. And it's, it's pretty obvious that this was uh, something like the note at the bottom of your study Bible, you know, where people added in to kind of explain what's going on here because without that explanation, this is kind of a confusing text. Uh, and then somehow it crept into the actual text of the Bible and and some of the older manuscripts began to include it in the Bible. But as we've discovered more and more manuscripts, the earlier manuscripts don't include it. And it is not biblical. But it does add a helpful bit of information to understand why these people were gathered there. Now I think it's real important that we, uh, we get the picture uh, here of the, the people that were gathered around um, these pools. Again, it says that they were the sick, the blind, the lame, the withered. And uh, I think that uh, what God would want us to do is for us to see those people. You know, this it says it's a multitude. There's just large numbers of people. And you know, when you think, it's kind of a pathetic sight of all of these desperate people hungry to get well. In that ancient world, there just wasn't a lot of hope for people in this condition. But I think, you know, I think when God looks down on this earth and He looks at the multitude, the seas of people all over planet earth, and He looks at the hearts, that's all He sees. He just sees millions and millions and millions of sick, of blind, of lame, and withered people. That's, that's just the human condition. That's just what we are. Now, we in America, we dress it up real good. And we look real pretty and we clean up nice. But God looks into that heart and every one of our hearts. There's some sickness there. There's, there's some blindness. There are things that we do not see, we don't understand. There's, there's lameness. There's a, a weakness spiritually and in our character. And in, you know, God sees our potential and then He sees the reality. And He sees how far we fall short of what we ought to be. Isaiah chapter 35 is a messianic uh, passage. It talks about the things that the anointed one, the Messiah, would do when he comes. And it, boy, it sounds like, you know, right out of this text, 
that He would strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is what God wants to do for the sick, the the blind, the lame, and the withered. Is He wants to be the Savior of those needy people. Which, which is, I think, you know, we're supposed to all see that. That's all of us are like that. Now, there's this multitude that's gathered around these pools, and so you got that picture. And there, I mean, every one of them has got a major need. But yet, Jesus walks into that place, and no one recognizes him, no one knows who he is, but he zeroes out in on one of them, picks one out of that crowd. And he walks up to this single individual and he asks him this question. Do you want to get well? And this is the question of the day here. This is, uh, this is where I want to go with this passage. You know, every passage of Scripture has one interpretation, but many applications. And there are a number of directions you can go with John chapter 5. The one I want to run with today is that question. Do you want to get well? And I think this is a question, and as I pondered it this last week, I wonder if Jesus just isn't asking us that question all the time. I wonder if that just isn't the question that Jesus is posing before us always. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be better? Are you ready? Do you want what I have for you? Do you want to be whole? Now this man really doesn't have any idea who Jesus is. And when Jesus asks him this, you know, he says, Well, uh, you know, yeah, I I got a plan. And, uh, you know, I've been waiting here. And I'm going to try and be the first one in. But I don't have anybody to help me in. And so he goes on with his, you know, kind of pathetic answer to that question, his plan to be better. And I, you know, I think a lot of that stuff that I mentioned earlier of what I want to do with this next year, there's nothing wrong with those things and I'm planning on doing them. They're good things. But in a lot of ways, those things are sort of our plan to get better. Um, I'm going to entertain myself as much as I can. I'm going to try and improve myself as much as I can this next year. Um, I'm going to try and make my life better by fixing up the house, getting a new car, uh, whatever it might be. You know, I, I'm going to try and change the environment around me and the, the things that I take in and the experiences that I have so that I can be better. That's kind of generally how our plans go for how we will improve our lives. I'm going to improve the, the environment around me so that I will be comfortable and, and be better. And Jesus' question is is very different. It's not about that. When Jesus comes and He whispers to us, Do you want to be well? He's speaking deep into your heart. In there. Do you really want to be better in there? 
Now, what Jesus does next with this man is just pure grace. This guy, I mean, he's, he's a bit of a doofus, really. I mean, as you read through the whole passage and you kind of follow all the stuff that he does here, uh, this guy, he just, he's not the brightest bulb in the, in the New Testament. So he doesn't really understand who Jesus is or what he's asking for or what he's planning to do. It just, it's just pure grace. Jesus just speaks to him and he does this very pure miracle. He cures this man of his paralysis. He, the atrophied muscles are instantly changed. These muscles that have withered from 38 years of non-use are instantly strengthened. And so uh, Jesus then demonstrates the power of his word to make this man whole. And he says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And as Jesus speaks those words, I'm sure this man, I don't know, what, you know how, how that would feel, but he would feel it. He would, as he's laying there on the ground, his legs all withered and the, the, the muscles return and his, his legs grow bigger and stronger and he feels a surge of energy and a strength and he's, he's better, he's healed. And he stands up and he rolls up that little straw mat and he walks off. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, he doesn't really ask who, how did they, he just walks off um, and leaves Jesus there. And then, it, you know, the Bible says that Jesus sort of ducked out of that place. Now, you can imagine what would have happened with multitudes of needy people who recognized this man walking off and that Jesus did it. He would have been mobbed. But it says that Jesus ducked out of this place. This was just about this one guy. John 5.17, I think, gives us some insight into Jesus' miracles. Um, John 5.17 says that Jesus said to them, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. And so Jesus is doing, or did here in this miracle, instantly what the Father is always doing, but slowly. And so when Jesus turned the water into wine, you know, God created the process of grapes and fermentation and taking, mixing water with grapes and turning it into wine. God created that. God does that. God, God in His creative processes has, has created that whole thing. Jesus did that instantly to show that He is the Lord of the wine. And bread. You know, God, created seeds and wheat and creates those plants and help man to discover how to cultivate them and grow them and the process of turning that wheat into bread that's a creation a gift from God to the human race and God is involved in that process and God is the father is always doing those things but Jesus took that bread and instantly multiplied it and and instantly did quickly what more usually the father does slowly and God is built into our bodies recuperative processes. Our bodies are incredible in their ability to heal. God has built that into the cells of our body. And God has given us medicines. You know, the things are derived from plants and all the, the, the chemicals that exist on this planet. These are gifts from Him. And there's a process where the Father heals slowly, but here Jesus heals instantly. And Jesus is demonstrating. Uh, a point, and so I think Jesus' miracles 
prove a point that he wants to make. And, and particularly this miracle proves the point that, of the things that he's going to say in the rest of John chapter 5. If you read the rest of the chapter, there's a long discourse that Jesus has with the, the leaders of the Jews, with the Pharisees. And um, he's, this miracle sets up this discourse. Now, if, you know, if Jesus were just saying these things about himself, that he is, he's, he's going to claim that he is the Lord and the creator of the Sabbath, and, and he can tell anyone to do whatever they want on the Sabbath. And he's going to claim that the works, his works and the works of the Father are the same, and that he and the Father are one. He's going to say that he is the life giver who raises the dead physically and spiritually. He's going to tell them that he has authority to execute judgment uh, to people all over this world. Now you can you come and you make those kinds of claims all by your, you know by itself, and no one's going to pay any attention to you. But you say to somebody, "Get up and walk," and you heal someone who's been been withered for 38 years. All of a sudden, people listen to these words and they ponder, "Could this be possible?" And so Jesus' miracle was to demonstrate who He is, that He is God and the power of His words. And so Jesus clearly makes the point that He is God and that He is at work in people's lives. Now I think from the standpoint of application here, we've got to come back and we need to put yourself in this picture. I really think that God would want us to identify with the sick, lame, withered, paralyzed people, and particularly this one man. And I think as we think about this passage, we need to put ourselves in his position and recognize that that's me. As God looks at me and he sees all the things that are in my heart, all that could be, but yet now all that I am, and I'm not what I need to be. He sees all of the things that are wrong with me. And he wants me he wants me to be better. He wants to help me to be better, to be well, to be whole. And so the question is being asked. And I, I think I, I can say with, with confidence, I can speak the words of Jesus from these pages, and I, I am almost certain that he's speaking those words to each and every one of us right now. Do you want to be whole? So what do you want to see happen in the year ahead? Are you sure that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you belong to Him? Do you know for certain that you are going to go to heaven when you die? We'll start there. You need to gain assurance and become established as a follower of Jesus Christ if you don't know for sure. Jesus wants to make you whole. He wants to give you eternal life as a gift. And this is the time for that, for you to become whole spiritually. Now, those of us that have done that, we put our trust in Christ and He has changed us from the inside out. And we, we are told in the Scriptures that, that He has made all things new and that the moment that I have trusted Christ, I have become everything that I will ever be throughout eternity, positionally in Christ. But experientially, I need to continue to let Christ rule in my heart. And so there's more and more. I've been healed. The question is, will I get up and walk? And so, believer, 
How is your walk with God? Are you willing to let Him make you better? What have you settled in on? You know, I think most Christians, we have spurts of growth and then we stall out. Now you tell me if it isn't true about your life that that you are stalled in some way in your life. Tell me that's not true. Tell me there isn't something in there that you know that Jesus has been talking to you about. Do you want to get better? And you've been ignoring it. We need to learn to walk consistently with God and continue to answer Him as He he speaks to us from His Word and from prayer and from fellowship. We need stronger Christ-like character. We need to let Him rule in our hearts and every aspect of our life. American Christian, and Ron Burgett, I'm not just talking to you now. Ron Burgett, I hope you understand. But American Christians, we need to make Christ Lord over our materialism. As Americans, I mean, that's, that's our sin, and we just struggle with it. It's difficult. We've got we to gotta let Him be Lord of our pocketbooks. That money belongs to Him, and you are a steward of it. It is not yours, and it's not mine. And all that stuff I got, it's not my stuff. I get to use it, but the point is, it's His stuff, and He's going to ask me for it from time to time, and I've got to be ready to let Him have whatever it is to use it any way He wants. Now, that's a heart issue. Do you want to get better? What about, you know, the relationships around you? Those are the heart. That's where you see a lot of it. Your marriage, your children, the relationships, the people in the church. Do you want to get better? Do you want to become a better lover? Because Jesus wants to teach us to be better lovers of our wives and our husbands, of our children and those around us. I mean, that's, that's Jesus. That's the kind of stuff that He wants to do in us. He wants to turn us into great lovers. i got a lot to learn. Now, I'm going to do a commercial here, and I'm going to do it uh, without apology. Um, We've got coming up opportunities, places. Now, granted, they're programs and they're curriculum. And there's no miracle in a program or a curriculum. But there is a miracle in the Word of Jesus Christ and prayer and uh, intimate fellowship. And so these environments are places where there is the Word of God, where there is intimate fellowship, where there is accountability, where we get down and deal with these kinds of things that Jesus is asking, do you want to get better? And in my experience, the place to go if you want to say yes to that, to Jesus, is a small group with homework where you're in the Word and you're in prayer and you're in accountable fellowship with a group of people and you really start to walk. You get up and you begin to walk and you begin to seek to obey. And as you take those steps of obedience, Jesus Christ will fill you with His Spirit and He will begin to change you. And so do you need assurance of salvation? You need to get started on your Christian life. We've got a thing called Christianity Explored that meets here on Wednesday nights right up in one of these rooms. We've got a couple of great experienced leaders. And if you want to get started on your Christian life, these guys will help you. 
And they will they'll nail this down for you. And they'll launch you on a lifetime of walking with Jesus Christ. And you need to perfect your walk with God. You stalled out or you've really never learned how to get in the Word and how to pray and how to do the basics for living the Christian life. We've got a thing called soul purpose. It's a, it's a curriculum, but it's in a small group with accountability and it's based on the Word and it's based on, with prayer. And it's a great place to get better, to get well, to get whole, to see your life changed through the Word and through prayer and through fellowship. And what about that materialism? And what can we do about that? How can we wrestle with that? Begin to deal with that before God. There's a small group called Crown Ministries that deals with financial freedom. And it's, it's, uh, there's lots of homework. There's verses to memorize. And uh, you're going to look at your budget and you're going to look at your money and you're going to look at your stuff and you're going to wrestle with the question of who is the Lord of this stuff. And you'll study the many of the 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that talk about money because the Lord Jesus Christ knows that that money, that's right next to our heart. And if you're going to give your heart to Jesus, you've got to give Him your money. Not, not to the church, not to people. You give your money to Jesus. He'll tell you where you're supposed to give it beyond that. And then relationships in your marriage. Uh, there's a marriage dynamics course. We've had uh, two of those groups already. God's already done some great stuff in marriages. And again, it's just it's really sitting down and talking to one another and, and wrestling together with some of those things you've been ignoring and hearing one another and learning to love your spouse the way he or she wants to be loved. It's a great place to study the Word and apply it in your life. Now maybe, maybe there's some other things. Maybe there's bitterness in your life. Maybe there's a relationship in the church that's gone south and you're living with it. You're not dealing with it. Maybe there's a relationship in the family that Jesus Christ is saying, you know what, You've, that bitterness has been there for a long time. Do you want to get better? I want to help you with that. And, and I don't know what your thing is. Uh, but you need to put yourself in that place. Last slide. And you need to hear Jesus ask, Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Do you want all that I have for you in this year to come? And folks, I, you know, I think what I've found is it's, it, it's not just going to church. It's not just showing up for stuff. It's not just being busy with all the church activities. It's really saying to Jesus, I will let you into my heart and I will walk with you. I will walk this out with you. I want to be better. I will walk with you. Show me. And you begin to do the work necessary to let Him into those places and those small groups and studies and Bible memorizing verses and, and practicing day by day, obeying Him. That's the way our lives begin to change. So 2008. You know, I, didn't, I really didn't pick this passage for today. I think, you know, I can say God kind of dropped this as kind of the obvious passage and I start studying and here's that sentence. So 
you know, this is, I don't think this is Ron Burgett preaching. I think these are the words of Jesus. And I think Jesus is asking all of us, he's, as He's been asking me all week, do you want to be well? Do you want it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hear you. Um, we got to be honest. Uh, we, we get so busy with all these other external things that I, uh, we haven't even really worried about a lot of this stuff. But you're right, Lord Jesus. You're right. There's lots of stuff that's not what it ought to be in my life. And so we hear you. And Lord Jesus, continue to speak to us. What steps do we need to take to pick up and walk with you with these things? How can we... Um, pursue this and receive the healing that you have for us. So Lord Jesus, we humbly uh, confess to you our need and we pray that you would continue to speak to us in your name.